Amen. Amen. Hey, let's take our seats, and uh, while you're doing that, get your Bibles out, and let's open them up to uh, Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, uh, that worship set um, really set the table well for us as we understand the working of God, as we understand the gift of grace that God has poured out on us. I want to preach a message this morning entitled, Compelled by Grace. Compelled by grace, we'll be diving into the text in uh, just a moment. But as you uh, think about yourselves, you think about our nation, like what are the things that uh, we are known about, as Cana- known for us, as Canadians, when people think of Canada, uh, what do they think of? I think of uh, when we travel, they, they think we're nice people. We're the softer, gentler form of the Americans. And uh, you're just, you, you Canadians are just all around nice people. Um, that's why whenever we travel internationally, I wear a little flag on the side of my head so I won't be confused with those more abrupt people that live south of us. Um, that's what people think of us as Canadians. You're the nice, you're the nice people. Um, they think, uh, well, you're the people who say a eh? a lot, especially if you go down to the States. They're always making fun of the fact that every sentence ends with a. Eh? Eh? It doesn't, but that's what they think. And uh, you Canadians, you're really nice people until you put a hockey stick in your hand because you're hockey freaks up there in Canada. So when people think of Canadians, those are some of the kind of things they think about. More recently, everything's not always positive and nice. More recently, people think of Canadians, they're thinking about a shady, even evil history as we hear the news about residential schools and atrocities that have gone on, um, even in our history. What are, what, what are we known for as a nation? Here'd be another question. When people think of you, uh, what do they think of? Uh, are you a, a fun-loving person? Are you a, a loving and caring person? When people talk about you, when they think about you, do they think about those things? Are, are you a person of integrity? Or are you a person of stay away from that guy because his word is not his word, his yes is not yes, his no is not no? What, what do people think of when they uh, think of you? Um, he's shady in the way he does his deals. Um, what do people think about when they think of you? What do people think about when they think about our church? Uh, when, when the person on the street thinks about our church, what, what do they think about? Um, and that's the building at the corner, but we don't really know what they do. Um, oh, those are the Bible thumpers who don't know how to dance. That's what, that's what those people are. That's what they think of our church. Yeah, I don't know if they think that or not, but I know people have thought that in the past about churches and uh, because we stood for things that necessarily weren't the most important things. Um, what do they think of as a church that's caring? and loving, and reaching out into the community. And you might think, well, I'm not sure what we do into the community. It's not always aggressive. It's not always out there and obvious. It can be in the way we've just gone through a series in the church here where we've had two or three funerals, and reaching out and caring for family and people watching how the church does that and comes along. When people think about our church, uh, what do they think about? Today, as we look at our text I want us to come back to the central theme of what is said about this church in Antioch in Acts chapter 11. And in verse 23, it says, uh, and Barnabas goes up there, it says, And when he came and saw the grace of God. When he saw the grace of God. See, that's the thing that should be demonstrated in my life. People should see the grace of God. That's what should be demonstrated in our church. So we're going to be taking a look at this text in Acts 11. Let's stand together so we can honor God as we read his word. And I'm going to start at verse 19 uh, down to verse 26. 
Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Paul went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Father, this is your word, and we thank you for it. I pray, God, that you would um, open our eyes today to see some, with some clarity some things for us to hear. As we look at this church, as we see what, what it was that when Barnabas showed up there, what he saw and what that meant to him, Lord, would that be true of us as well? Uh, give us ears, God, to listen carefully to what your word says. Um, um, Father, would you give us not only ears and eyes, but God, would you give us wisdom that we would take these things, the things that are for us today, the thing that your spirit pricks in my heart, in each heart, whether it's people in the room or people who are watching, that we would be uh, compelled by your word, God, um, to live as people of grace. And uh, we give all of this to you. We give these moments to you, asking that you would do what only you can do in this place. For the glory of the name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. All right, you can take your seats. So the big idea for today, the big thing we want to get our heads around is grace alive in us results in impact. When grace is alive in us, it always results in impact. And so we want to go back and get some of the context of what's going on here so we're not just picking, cherry-picking a verse out of the middle of nowhere. Um, you'll notice in verse 19 it says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Um, so we're going back chapter 7, chapter 8 of Acts, and you remember Stephen was stoned for his faith. And so now up in chapter 11, uh, this is part of what's going on. It wasn't easy for them. It was a difficult time for these people. Uh, they were living now with the understanding that your faith might cost you something. Um, they were living with the understanding that to live for Christ, uh, it meant you had to be committed. You had to be all in. They were, they were living with, with that kind of reality. Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen says, um, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And so you're like, okay, oh, that means nothing to me. So hopefully we can get a map up here onto the screen. There it is. Um, you'll notice down in the bottom on the left side, uh, excuse me, on the right side, okay, there was a map, and then it was gone. Okay, and it's back. Um, you have this, uh, there, you see where Jerusalem is, and then up at the top of the map, you have Antioch. 
Okay, so that's kind of the uh, distance of what's going on here. Um, it talks about Cyprus and uh, Phoenicia, and um, Cyprus was the island. You see it up at the top on the left-hand side, and Phoenicia is right underneath the word impact. Um, Phoenicia was a region, and so we have this distance between Jerusalem and Antioch, probably based on the scale at the bottom, somewhere around 500 kilometers, maybe like from here to um, Montreal. Um, uh, the difference is you don't just get in your car and drive for five hours and you're there. You either walk or, or get on your donkey. And, you know, it was days and days and days and days. And so Antioch at that point might as well have been a million miles away. Um, but God is at work. He's doing his thing. And so these, these followers of Christ, um, those who were um, scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And look what they were doing. They were speaking the word. They were speaking the word. But the gospel at that point was pretty limited. They were only speaking the word to the Jews. Um, Peter, in the chapter before this, chapters before this, has started to speak to uh, some of the Greeks and uh, um, the Gentiles, but it's not popular yet. It's not public yet in the same way. The gospel's focused in a limited way. But then it says in verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And so they go up to Antioch in the midst of this persecution, and they start to speak to not just the Jews, but to the Greek Jews. And so the gospel is starting to expand. And then it says, I love this verse, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And the hand of the Lord was with them. This was not something they were endeavoring to do on their own. They understood that unless the Lord did this, unless God did a work, nothing would be accomplished. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And look at this. And a great number who believed and turned to the Lord. Okay, I'm going to read that again. And at the end of that line, that would be a great place to go. Amen. Okay, just You get ready for that, okay? Um, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Thank you. Um, that's what's going on here. Um, God's spirit is working. People's lives are being changed. Uh, it says turned to the Lord. That's the picture of repentance. Every person who ever has trusted Christ doesn't just receive the free gift. That's true for sure. But there's a turning because the grace of God changes us and we move in a new direction. It's a picture of repentance that comes with salvation. When God is in it, lives are changed and that kind of good news starts to spread. Look at the next verse. This report, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And so the gospel is spreading. The gospel is now in Antioch. Just realizing that we're going to learn about what's going on in the time frame of this. Because I don't want you to think what happened with um, um, in, in the first part of this, when we think about what's happened with Stephen, it's just like the next week, 
Okay, there's a time frame that's gone on. After the stoning of Stephen, if you read the book of Acts, Saul is still out there persecuting the church. And by the time this happens, Saul has been saved and he becomes part of this story at the end of it. But um, this is going on, but the word comes down to Jerusalem and in the Jerusalem church, they hear the good news, don't exactly know how they receive it. We're not actually told how they receive it. What we know is they get Barnabas, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, Barnabas, hey, Barnabas, get up, go up there and check this out. Go out there and see what's going on. And that's really the context, which brings us now to the verse I really want us to focus on uh, for today. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So we get the context. Now we come to grace. Grace compels me to do some things. Here's the first thing. Grace compels me to see what's going on. When you see grace in someone else's life, you want to go and see what's going on. And so they send, uh, they send Barnabas up there, and he gets there, um, and he sees the grace. He sees the grace. When people look at our church, do they see the grace? Or do they go, hey, they got a cool building. They've got a nice sign out the front. They've got a, hey, the sign out the front compelled someone to turn and come to church uh, last week. I was talking to them in the parking lot, and they said, can I get in? Can I? Yeah, you can. Um, yeah, so it's an important thing. It's an okay thing. They see the building. They see the parking lot. They see the lights in the parking lot. They see the front door. They see the roofs on straight. They come inside. They see the nifty lights and the screen and all that. But is that what people see when they see our church? Or do they see the grace? Do they see people who care for each other? Uh, people who love each other? Uh, people who are passionate about it? They saw the grace. Grace is God's unmerited, undeserved favor. Grace is we receive what we don't deserve. Grace saves us. Definition of grace that I love is God's riches at Christ's expense. That's that grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result, not a result of works so that no one can boast. When, when, when Barnabas shows up, he walks in the door and all the people are there. And what did he see? He saw the grace of God. Grace of God that saves us. Um, talked about how they turned and trusted Christ and later on in the text, it said they were, people were added to the Lord. Um, they had understood what Christ had done. They had put their trust in Jesus Christ. They had turned from what they were hoping in and were now followers of Jesus Christ. And when Barnabas shows up, that's what he sees. He sees followers of Jesus Christ. That's what people should see in me. That's what people should see in you. The most defining thing in your life should not be your job or how many kids you have or how big a house you have. The most defining thing in your life should be the grace of God because all of those other things, you keep pointing back to what God has done. You keep pointing back to what Christ has accomplished. You keep pointing back to him as your hope of glory. It saves us. Grace, it saves us. 
And if you've never trusted Christ, that is the drum to beat for you today. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. You need the work that he accomplished on the cross, setting aside all that he had so he could come and die for you. God's riches at Christ's expense. He paid the ultimate price on the cross so you could have a free gift, grace of eternal life in Jesus Christ. You receive that gift by faith. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It just poured out by God. Have you trusted Christ today? Have you trusted Christ today? When Barnabas gets there, he sees the grace. He sees the grace. Grace that saves. He also sees grace that keeps us. God's grace is not just a saving grace. God's grace is a keeping grace. In uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said, uh, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Grace not only saves us, but grace, it keeps us. Grace is the glue, as it were, that holds it all together. You think about just if you're watching at home, maybe just look at whoever you're with or imagine you are in church. But for those of you who are in the room, literally stop, take a look around right now. Like you're allowed to look away from the speaker for a moment, look away from your Bible, look around at the rest of the crazy people who are in the room. It's good to do that. You can actually do that. It's okay. You can point at them and laugh if you want. It's okay. There's only one reason we're together in this room. It's the grace of God. There's no other reason. Grace. Barnabas shows up and he sees the grace. He sees these people who God is knitting together. He sees these people who God is working through. And grace, grace, it saves me. It keeps me. I've got a quote we're going to try and put up on the screen. Hopefully we can do better than we did with the map on this one, but we'll give it a shot and see. Uh, Dr. Jeremiah, David Jeremiah said this, um, and therein lies an important theological and practical truth. Regardless of what we think we need in terms of help, we really only need one thing, the grace of God. Let me read it again. That's an important statement. Go back, yeah. And therein lies an important theological and practical truth. Regardless of what we think we, the, what we, think we need in terms of help, we only need one thing, the grace of God. And then he goes on and he says this. When God pours out his grace, we receive what he knows we need. Provision, endurance, wisdom, patience, strength, resistance, courage, and more, all being poured out on us because of the grace of God. And the grace of God compels me to see what God is doing. But here's the next thing. The grace of God compels me to respond. It, rep- it compels me to respond. Look at verse 23. It says, and when he came and saw the grace of God, he was, <clears throat> he was glad. He was glad. As you look around and realize the trophy of grace that you are, you know how messed up you were. You know how far you were from God. You know how God poured his love on you. And you see yourself and God's working. Um, he was glad. 
He was glad because he's looking in a mirror, seeing his own, the grace of God on him. But then he's looking around and seeing God's grace poured out on these undeserving people. And he was glad for them. He was glad. He was satisfied. He was filled with hope. When you see grace working in others, Does it do the same thing for you? It should, it should. As you look around this room in the midst of all the difficulties we face in our society, the only one thing that brings us together in this place is God's working in his grace. It should should well up in you a sense of, look what God has done, look what God is doing. How amazing is that? Uh, Matt told us about, or somebody told us about the last couple of weeks of of, of students who trusted Christ during the day camp that that they had. Like that should should build up in us. We should get excited about that. We should be like, that's amazing what God did. You realize how resistant maybe you were to the gospel and what God had to do to bring you to a place of salvation. And when you you see the grace of God, it should make you glad. It should make you glad. He was glad. He was glad. What should move the Christians to hope and joy more than seeing the grace of God in others and in ourselves? Nothing. Nothing. Not a promotion at work, not a, um, I got a new house, not a, the grace of God. That's what should compel us. That's what should move us forward. That's what should cause us uh, to respond. He was glad. Uh, We're going to go back to verse 23 in a minute, but for now, let's go down to verse 24. It talks about this guy, Barnabas. He's the one who was sent up there. He's the one who's in the room now. He's the one who was glad, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. What does the person look like who is glad, who is filled with joy and satisfaction when they see the grace of God? Well, let's take a look at, at this man. Let's take a look at his credentials. His credentials were not a university degree that, that we know of. He didn't have any of those kind of credentials. But here's what it says about him. It says, he was a good man. He was a good man. Not like God is good. Uh, we heard last week a little bit about how God is good, right? Uh, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. God is good in the perfect attribute sense of the term. Uh, that's not what this word means. This doesn't mean that. Um, this word means that, um, that he was good. Um, it means that he was filled with character and integrity He was a righteous man. He was desiring to be holy in his life. And so when Scripture describes this man, Barnabas, who is glad, he was glad because he was a good man. Um, Barnabas had trusted Christ. He was a follower of Christ. Now he's seeking to serve the Lord. The church in Jerusalem saw in him the giftedness, and they send him up there, and then it says he was good. He was good. You know, at the beginning of this message, I said, how do people describe you? What do people think about when they think about you? Would they they use these words? Would they use words like, that person is filled with character? They have integrity. They are righteous. They are holy. Barnabas, Barnabas was all of those things. And when you are those things, you're not looking out for your own um, self-interest. You're not looking out for what you can do. I, I can imagine when uh, he first got the word, see, if they'd given me the word, we want you to go up to Antioch and try and figure out what's going on up there. I might have been like, uh, guys, 
Like, don't you realize it's 500 kilometers? And you're not even going to give me a donkey to ride to go up there? It's going to take me days just to get there, right? You could have been like that. It's like when you're asked to do something around the church, and it's like, well, don't, no, no, I'm pretty busy. Don't you know that? He got on the way. He got there. And people who go and obey God, they get to see the blessing. They get to be glad in the grace that they see. He was a good man. I hope those are the characteristics that would be in your life. I trust that the characteristics that are in my life. No, not perfectly on this side of heaven, but growing and developing, desiring to be more like Jesus Christ. He's a good man. See, good men, good women, see the grace of God and are glad. Here's another thing it says about him. It says he was full of the Holy Spirit. Good men and good women see the grace of of God because they're filled with the Spirit of God and they're glad. And they're glad. And I say to you, are you full of the Holy Spirit? Are you full of the Holy Spirit? And you're like, Mom, based on the car ride to church today, probably not. Um, Based on what I did yesterday, uh, probably not. Um, See, The filling of the Holy Spirit is not something that happens once when you trust Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it happens when you trust Christ. The be filled with the Holy Spirit is an ongoing process. It's, it's, It's more a sense of what's accomplished as we are obedient to the things of God than it is some mystical thing that happened the moment you trusted Christ. The moment you trusted Christ, you were filled with the Spirit. But the filling of the Spirit comes and goes. The Spirit doesn't come and go but that filling comes and goes. And it comes and goes primarily out of our obedience, out of our desire to serve, out of our willingness to set aside, out of our, our, our passion to be like Christ, to confess our sin, to turn to the Lord, to make things right. And as a result, you're filled with the Spirit and you're thinking Spirit things, you're thinking God things, so that when you see other believers, you're not thinking about, boy, they got a nice car, they got a nice house. You're thinking about, look what God's doing in their life. Filled with the Spirit, he was a good man. Good men see other people in grace, and they are glad. Holy Spirit-filled people see the people around them with all their warts and all the ugliness and all of the struggles that they are and see the hope that we have in Christ, and they are glad. And they are glad. There's one other thing it says about him. He was full of faith. He was full of faith. He was trusting, believing what God could do, what only God could do. He could have gone up to Antioch and go, well, these people are poor people. They're, like, they're, they're just separated because of the whole Stephen thing. They don't have what all the tools we have in Jerusalem. They don't have all the fellowship. They're kind of here by themselves. And no, no. He looked at them and saw what God was doing and what God, he believed God was going to do. That was the faith part. He saw what God was going to do, and he was filled with happiness and joy He was glad for them. You see, when we are people of God who see the grace of God, it compels us to respond. And he was glad. He was glad. And that should be our story about our church. When you look around and see those people, when you hear the stories of salvation, when we see the people who've been baptized over these last number of months, it it should make us glad. Grace compels us. It compelled him to respond. 
And he responded, it was an emotional thing. He was glad. He gets there. He's not sure what's going on. And then he sees them and he was glad. Here's the next thing. Grace compels me to act. Let's look and see what Barnabas does. In verse, in verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and looked. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord. He sees them there. He sees God's working. He sees the hope of glory. And, and now he's, he's going to exhort them. He's going to encourage them. He's going to passionately preach to them. He's going to teach them what? He's going to teach them to remain faithful to this Lord, this one who saved you, this one who by his grace bought you and offered you this free gift, this one who gives you all things and will sustain you. And so he cries out to them and he, he says, remain faithful to the Lord. Remain faithful Maybe that's what you needed to hear in coming to church today. Follower of Jesus Christ, remain faithful to the Lord. Stick with it. Persevere. We don't give up because of the grace of God poured out on us. I'm, I'm going to give you some verses. We're going to drink from the fire hose for a minute, and five or six verses, but here we go. James 1.12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of glory, which God has promised to those who love him. Remember, this church is in thinking about Stephen and what has gone on and the persecution that's going on. It would have been so easy for them to go, oh, I don't know, I don't know. It's just too hard. It's just too hard. These words from James, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Romans 5, 3 to 5, more than that, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So Barnabas is up there, and he's preaching the word to these guys, and he's telling them, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a, crowd of wit- a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is before us. James 1, 2 to 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance, and and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 1 Chronicles 16, 11, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Hebrews 10, 36, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is is promised. Remain faithful to the Lord. He exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord. In difficult times, in difficult days, I I had a... um, uh, a conversation with the pastor from Kelowna yesterday. I can tell you this because I put it on his Facebook page, what we, not what we talked about, but what the conversation was. 
And uh, if you live in Kelowna, British Columbia, you're about an hour or so south of Vernon, BC. Vernon, BC is like on a get ready to move because the fires are coming kind of thing. And um, COVID has like really ramped up in that area. And they were like pretty open in what they could do. And things are being restricted now. And they're back to only being able to have 50 people in church after this week. His daughter's getting married on August the 20th. And they're not sure what's going to be allowed as far as the wedding goes. And um, we were texting back and forth. And he was pretty frustrated. Uh, Pray for Meldon Lutzer. Pray for their church. They've had more people coming to church um, in the last while than they've ever had in their history. He said there were more people in church last week than there was on Easter weekend. And then so this comes, and you're like, ugh. Right? Maybe you're too spiritual for that. That's how I'd be. And uh, we were texting back and forth. He put a thing up on Facebook yesterday just imploring the church to be faithful and remain faithful and God's going to carry them through it. He wasn't feeling like that, but he was obeying what God was telling him to do and he was remaining faithful. And so what's God calling you to remain faithful to in your walk these days? You see, the grace of God, it changes us because it's not about our outcomes. It's not about what we accomplish. It's about what God does. The grace of God that saves us, that, that grace has to change you. You can't see all that God has done and be blessed in all of it and not be different as a result. And so Barnabas pleads with them, remain faithful. Remain faithful. Remain faithful. And then one more thing. In verse 23, grace compels me to focus. Grace compels me to focus. Look what it says. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he resorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Stay faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose purpose. Get your eyes on what God's called you to and stay faithful to it. Don't waver to the left and to the right. Stay, stay focused on it. You guys all know that Susan, uh, my, our, our life verse for our marriage is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Um, Uh, The writer of Acts has just said, exhort them to remain faithful to the Lord, to the Lord. And so what's our purpose in the Lord? And to stay faithful to our purpose in the Lord, even if it's going to be difficult, even if, in the back of their mind, Stephen, Stephen, he got stoned for his faith, even it cost us everything, we're going to stay faithful to our purpose. We're not going to waver. We want to be laser focused on some things. It was true of the church. It's true of us. I wrote some things down that kind of were on my heart as I thought about this. I need to stay laser focused on glorifying God, Uh, making that the priority. That's what grace does. Grace gets our eyes off ourselves. It gets our, our focus back on the Lord. And so when he says stay focused, be focused with a steadfast purpose, the purpose is to glorify God. Glorify God in everything you do, whether you eat or drink. Do all to the glory of God. Stay focused on that. Stay focused on growing in the Word of God. Are you you in the book? 
Are you in the book? Because it's only when you're in the book that the book ends up in you. And so you need to be growing in the word. Those are some things that you need to be laser focused on. Hey, if you haven't opened your Bible since last Sunday, then you need to grow up in the Lord. You need to get in the word. You need to read it. I love what Jason said last week when he talked about, you know, you're reading the word and uh, you're like, I, I want God to speak to me audibly and read it out loud. He said, that's really a cool line. I, I've seen that before. He stole that from somebody, just so you know. But it was a, it's a great comment. Be focused in the word. Be focused in the word. Um, it, it, the word of God, he, he gave it to us. He's given it all. Like in the book of Acts, they didn't have even half of what we got. We had the rest of what happened in Paul's life. We've got the book of Revelation. We've got, we've got so much. We need to be people focused in the word. We need to be people focused in prayer. When we can cry out to God. You know, I, as I was... Uh, texting back and forth with Meldon yesterday. Like one of the things he was doing, he was praying. And we were encouraged, there's two of us that were on the text stream, we were encouraging him and, and it's okay. It's okay to cry out to the Lord. It's okay when it's difficult to tell God, he is your father. But you come to him knowing who he is and compelled to pray. We, we think about our church and what's coming for us, a search for a new, a new lead pastor. And hey, if the Lord doesn't work in this, we're going to mess this thing up royally. We'd better be on our faces before God. Not just on a prayer night at the end of August. Every day as a church, we need to be praying about these things. Praying that God will bring the man for our church that he desires to lead us as we move forward. We need to be people of prayer. Your kids, are your kids saved? Are they not saved? Uh, Sue and I have told you, Sue and I pray for our grandkids every single day. We pray that they'll be saved. Because what else matters? I don't care if they get a PhD or a master's if they don't know Jesus. Pray for them. And when it's hard and when it's difficult and when they've gone sideways and you're not sure they even love God or even want to know God, well, that's not the time to give up. That's the time to lean in. It compels me to focus on what my purpose is in prayer, to be growing in faith, to grow in the proclamation, not only of evangelism, which we're all called to do, but also the proclamation to one another in growing and building one another up um, in edification. So we have an evangelism and an edification. Like, what's our purpose? Don't let your purpose become about your job or your education. That's not your purpose. Growing and meeting needs of others. Growing and caring as we meet those needs. Um, growing and Giving. I was just reading this yesterday as I do my read through um, the New Testament uh, this year in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. It says this, and God is able to make all grace, as we're talking about today, right? All grace. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good that verse is tucked right in the middle of a section of you, or if that open in your Bible, to what is a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. To have all sufficiency in all things at all times that you may abound in every good work. Growing in giving. Here's the last one. Now, growing in making disciples. 
all of that kind of leads to what I'm about to say, but growing and making disciples. Look at uh, verses 25 and 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Um, the editorial note here, uh, Paul is still being called Saul in the book of Acts at this point. Um, his name um, isn't changed. There are people in their Bible where their name is changed. Uh, that doesn't happen with Paul. But Paul never refers to himself as Saul. Um, he only refers to himself as Paul. Um, it means small or little, the idea of being humble. Um, but it, Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Greek name. Um, it's just as deep as that. It's not any more than that. But at this point in the book of Acts, he's still being referred to as Saul. He's been saved. Um, his life has been changed. But um, So that's just an editorial note. You may not care about that, but I gave it to you anyways. It doesn't cost any extra. Um, verse 26. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So for a whole year, Barnabas, who's gone from Jerusalem, now goes down to Tarsus. He finds Saul. He brings him back. And for a year, they just pour into this group of people. They just pour into them. Um, It says that they, um, they met with the church. They were doing life together. That's why it's so important for us to meet as the church. It's how we do life together. Yeah, there was a time during a pandemic when we needed to be careful and honor what the government was doing and other, but the doors are opening up for us to be here like this, and we need to do that. Uh, They came together, and they met with the church. They were doing life together, and says, and taught a great many people. They were teaching them. They were growing them up. They were helping them to understand what the faith is and where they were going. And and that's why it's so important. For a whole year, they just poured into them with all of these things. As a result, the end of the verse, it says in verse uh, 26, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Christians. Uh, Some people think that that's a derog- was a derogatory church. Oh, you Christians, you're, you're like Jesus followers. Like, sometimes they call us like Bible thumpers or something like that. If anybody calls you a Bible thumper, that's like the nicest thing they could really say to you. Like, you believe the Bible? Yeah, I believe the Bible. You believe the whole Bible? Yeah, I believe the whole Bible. You believe we're supposed to do what it says? Yeah, I believe. You're a Bible thumper. Thank you very much. Right? So some people think they call them Christians. That was just like a, a derogatory name. Might have been, might have been. Nobody really knows. But it means Christ ones. You, you, you're the people who are focused on Jesus. Yes, thank you very much. Now, there was a risk to that because there might be persecution that came with that for them. But they were Christ followers. They were the people of grace. They were also called the people of the way in Scripture. The term Christian only appears three times in the Bible here. Um, in Acts 26, 28, it says, And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian, a Christ person, a Christ follower. And in 1 Peter 4, 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that, in that name. Grace compels me to focus, to focus on so many things, but this last thing was they, they focused on building, making disciples. 
Grace compels us. Grace compels us. Well, so what? So what? In verse 24, it says, and a great many people were added to the Lord. A great many people were added to the Lord. Not only were people saved that were part of the church, but now as this is going on, a great many people were added to the Lord. Would that be the story of our church? As a result of the grace of God working out in us, as a result of us being faithful. Don't wait for the church to do it. We're all, you are the little part of the church. We're all part of the church doing our part of the grace of God. And, and people were being added to the Lord. And we've been hearing those stories in our church. We're hearing the stories of life being changed. But how is God working in your life in that? What's the nugget for you in this message? What is it that I'm going to go home this afternoon as a result of what I've heard? God, this is what I needed to hear. This is what I need to be about. God helping us be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And glad, glad for the grace of God that is ours and glad for the grace of God that is mine, and would God work through us for his glory, for his fame. Let's pray together. Lord, I love that verse. When he came and he saw the grace of God. God, I forget so often your grace. I, I, I theologically know it's true, but my eyes can be distracted by so many other things, and yet your grace is sufficient for me. Your grace was sufficient to save me. Your grace is sufficient to help me through these days in my, in my sanctification, my growing up. And your grace is sufficient to deliver me at the end uh, to you, Lord, to heaven for eternity. Oh God, would we be people of grace when they see us? Would they not see us as a people of do's and don'ts? Would they see us as a people about Jesus? That you would get the glory in our lives. We'd be about your fame. And you do that work in us and through us. Guide us, we pray, in all of these things. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.